Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. Hey, loyal listeners. I'll be hosting this episode myself. I've been involved in software development for more than 25 years. I've started companies, led companies, and worked for companies, doing many different things. I'm honored to be considered a leader in Alberta's innovation ecosystem, and I give back as much and as often as I can. When I'm not working or podcasting, you'll find me pursuing my passions of photography, crypto investing, and woodworking, along with the occasional round of golf. Join me now as I have a conversation with Adam Kaisel Buchanan. Let's get right to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Uh, my guest today is Adam Kessel Buchanan. Thank you, Adam, for being here today. I wanted to um, I wanted to get to know you because you reached out uh, uh, to talk about the podcast and we ended up determining that you would be uh, an, a very interesting guest. And uh, and so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more. Um, you know, I know a little bit about you, but n- nobody listening may have have had that uh, advantage to to get to know you a bit. So why don't you tell us where where you came from and and how you started into into the career path that you're currently on? I, I'm really interested in hearing that. Certainly, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm a I'm a small town kid from uh, middle of nowhere, uh, Ontario, just uh, about an hour and a half north of Toronto, called uh, well Orangeville, and uh, grew up in the countryside and uh, worked weekends on a horse farm. And uh, as I as I grew up, you know. First time I saw the CN Tower was kind of the coolest day of my life. I'm like, wow, what is that grain silo doing there? So I was like fascinated by the city at a young age and uh, made my way to Montreal later in life when I was uh, when I was going to school and then when I started my first company and then uh, made the jump after I sold that company to Toronto. Worked agency side Toronto for about five years, both in big, big agency advertising as well as big agency experiential marketing. Um, at a time when I got a little bored with a large automotive client that I was working on, I bought a one-way ticket to Berlin, Germany, and basically told them I was going on an unofficial sabbatical. And when I got to Berlin within two weeks, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna live here from now on. This is good. And conveniently met the love of my life when I was, uh, when I was over there, when she was studying in Austria and I was working in Germany. And then by, uh, by a twist of... A very, very lovely twist of fate was just forced to flee Europe at the, at the dawn of COVID um, and uh, had to basically sell everything I owned and, and make the jump back across the pond. And uh, as an internationally homeless person, I called my girlfriend. I'm like, hey, you want to move in together? And she's like, sure. <laughs> Finishing law school in Calgary. So I'm like, all right, let's move in. All right, let's do this. So that's how I end, uh, ended up here in Calgary. I heard you mention uh, that the the first company that you started, but you didn't talk a little, uh, you didn't talk at all about it. Are you able to mention what that company was all about and kind of what happened to it? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, so I was uh, putting myself through school, working as a production coordinator on like a few ad sets, working film festival programming. Um, a lot of the times for film festivals of like uh, of cultural origin. Uh, I think it was called Cineazi and. Um, the Asian Film Festival. I didn't speak any Asian languages at that point, and most of the directors were actually from uh, from those countries of origin. And I remember I, I was the first screener of like uh, I think it's Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and I didn't speak a lick of Japanese to the uh, 
to the director and I was just like really thankful that he was there that day. Uh, but ultimately this, this led to me meeting my, um, my business partner who was about 10 years my senior and he was a pretty a veteran creative and he's like, Hey kid, you got some business savvy. I'm like, Hey, you have a creative eye that I do not have. Uh, he's like, you think, think about starting a production house. I'm like, what does that entail? So it was, uh, the, the naivety of youth. And I was like, yeah, let's go for the start a company. And, uh, since I was so young, it was opportunity arose that I could get the youth on the youth entrepreneurship uh, services grants. And I believe they're now Jean entrepreneur. And I, uh, I applied and we went through some, uh, some funding rounds for grants and I started my company and after my two favorite film characters, Devlin from notorious and Philip Marlowe detective series. So we named the company Devlin Marlowe, a very, very English sounding name in, in the French province of Quebec, which we had to ultimately turn into an acronym called Development Linear uh, Marketing Low Cost, Devlin Marlowe. Um, and that, that was my first company. And that was uh, yeah, production house, with a bunch of crazy directors and, and photographers and we uh we filmed branded content capital so video content for uh for brands right on so you've you sort of had a very long uh long career path in in kind of marketing and advertising and and production and that kind of thing now that uh you know you've you've landed in calgary what do you what are you up to these days uh these days i i work for a, a startup called Briefbit uh with some founders that i uh, i'd met in germany at a conference in cologne actually and uh, they they uh, they were the only Canadian exhibitor there, and my sales guys were just like, "Oh, you gotta meet these guys." I'm like, "Oh, why is it good for business?" And I was working at a mobile ad network, uh, a media vendor, as it were. And uh, and my sales guys like, "Oh yeah, you should meet them because you know they're Canadian and you're Canadian." So I'm like, "Why?" I'm like, "Oh, of course, that's that's how sales works." Uh, so I met them and uh, I you know, fell in love with the platform they were building. It's a platform to uh, to connect media buyers to to media vendors algorithmically instead of the, the very manual email out process that currently exists. And I was on the platform as a vendor and then uh, left left that that uh, that ad network because I had to literally flee Europe, came back to Canada, was went back to my old agency at, at Dentsu and uh, was trying to get on the platform as a buyer. And I'm like, oh man, we're changing the game. Like our process is slow. This process is awesome. And I remember in a, in a point of, um, of like, Real frustration and like dismay at not optimizing our processes at, at the agency. Lydia, my founder, she kind of looked, looked me dead in the eye on a Zoom call and she's just like, Adam, you should come work with us. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Let's give it a shot. This makes perfect sense. So, uh, yeah, and honestly, just trying to, you know, push, push media innovation in, in, in general, like internationally and, um, kind of take on the, the hegemons of Facebook and Google and give media dollars back to small publishers give media dollars back to two smaller media vendors, regional media vendors, and try to uh, try to build a new kind of ecosystem for uh, media participation from startups and agency buyers on our buy side to uh, to media vendors of all sizes on our sell side. Interesting. Okay. So for, for people who aren't super familiar with the terminology of that world, if I was standing on the street and I was actually someone who would want to be part of that platform or whatever, in layman's terms, what would I be? Who would I be? What would I be looking for? Certainly, yeah, and I, no, I am totally guilty of uh, of speaking almost exclusively in jargon, just because the industry is so hampered by it. Uh, I mean, it's it's leading the way in, in jargon innovation. Um, what uh, what what media buyers do, media planners and media buyers do, is they pick where advertising creative is going to go based on the channels that they're going to advertise on. And channels can be 
you know, a physical billboard, it could be a television commercial, it can be an Instagram influencer's content uh, that they talk about as sponsored content, it can be a display ad that you encounter, it can be a Google search ad that you encounter. Uh, these are all various channels in the digital advertising ecosystem or the digital media ecosystem is what it's usually uh, referred to more generically. And as a buyer, it's you want to advertise a product. Let's say you know you're you're um you're a hat manufacturer out of Toronto selling cool handed hats like my friend does. And she's got an e-com store and she's looking for a new audience to you know get in front of. And she's like, okay, I can you know I can dump a lot of money into, into Google through search ads and pay-per-click. Um, I can dump a lot of money into Facebook and pay for CPM, uh, or I can look for direct partnerships with publishers and media vendors who might know my audience or might talk to my audience through their blog content, or through their news content. And that's when they can hop on Briefbit for free and RFP their media spend with their goals, their target audience, and the digital channels they're interested in. And our algorithm dynamically matches media vendors to that RFP and gives them the opportunity to submit a proposal to that, uh, to that, to that RFP and thus potentially get the best price for the buyer, but as well uh, might get a new target audience channel that, that the, the buyer didn't know of before does the research for them, you know, without all the legwork as a admittedly as a, as a, as a overarching mission, since the cost of Facebook is now becoming a little bit, a little bit, a lot of it prohibitive for most buyers since the, the dollar expenditure to beat out your competitors has grown from like 20% of every ad dollar you had went to beating out your competitors and 80% went to going to getting in front of your audience back in 2012, 2013. Now it's upwards of like almost 70 to 80% of your dollar is split between beating out your competitors to like getting in front of your audience. Um, these are speculative, uh, like, you know, measurements, but then we also just know that the cost of Facebook is increasing on average 45% year over year for the last 10 years for buyers to just buy ads from Facebook and they make it really easy, but it is very, very expensive. Okay. Well, that's really, really interesting with the, the, I guess the advertising industry in general, you know, you've kind of alluded to a couple of the issues with it, but what, what are some other issues with the, the advertising industry in general? And, on, and I'll just take that one step further and I'll say, what do you think needs to change or is going to change? Like, where are we going to be? You know, I'm just thinking back to like Airbnb and, you know, you started out, you wanted to go to, you'd stay in a hotel and then, you know, if you were lucky, you could find someone who was renting a house in that particular place that you wanted to go. And then Airbnb changed the world by, you know, people don't focus on hotels so much anymore. They some, some of them actually exclusively focus on that. So sorry to drag that into a really long winded question, but uh, I'm curious what you think are some of the problems with the ad industry and then what you think might either what needs to change or what you think is where we're going to be. Yeah, no, and actually Airbnb is uh, it's, it's an exceptional example to describe um, a marketplace startup entering a fragmented uh, ecosystem that is uh, ultimately hampered by a lot of manual work and uh, a lack of innovation and in how, um, how a user can experience or purchase uh, effectively a product or service that they want. And in that regard, Airbnb not only reinvented how, uh, how buyers can get a place to stay in a city that they go travel to, they actually expanded the market, it's actually a marketplace startup term that we, we look into as well, in that they expanded the market. They made a, any person with an extra room in their house can now be an unofficial you know, B&B operator. 
Um, that that was, that's true innovation. That's you know, oh, empty rooms around the world. Let's get people sleeping in them. Like that's uh, that's the, the true testament to an innovative marketplace startup. What we see in the media landscape, operating with similar buyer seller relationships, is again a, a large an, an impetus to keep the fragmentation uh, with the with the hegemons playing in the in that space because you have large media media vendors like Google and Facebook who are benefiting by um, keeping uh, keeping their payment systems or payment models very easy to use. They actually they're like, cool, you want to buy ads? Just give us your credit card. We'll take care of the rest. Um, so that uh, that is what we're seeing on the on the two hedge bonds. But for the rest of the industry, we're seeing a lot of fragmentation, still a lot of email back and forth, still a lot of spreadsheeting, comparing rates, looking for new channels manually. No real uh, no real uh, impetus to say, hey, like these are all the vendors you could go after: big, small, publisher side, uh, ad tech side, or or trade desk side. Uh, and what I think we're going to see as far as like a, a true point of innovation is that at least what I'd like to see is that any small business owner can be their own media agency um, and can be their own their own media buyer and their own media planner. And any startup can can start participating in the media buying process more uh, more actively and more personally instead of saying like, ooh, I know how to put my creative together, but I don't know how to get my ad in front of the right person. I really think we're going to see a change in in how buyers on the business side engage with sellers on the business side and ultimately give everybody the opportunity to be their own media agency. Oh, that's really, really interesting. And, and it's certainly, um, it's certainly ripe for disruption. I would, I would imagine um, it's one of those industries that people don't think about too often. And when they do, if you're a, if you're a consumer, you probably have a fairly negative uh, feeling toward advertising. Uh, and then I guess if you're a small business, you probably have a fairly negative because it's like something you have to do in order to, you know, make your business go forward. And it costs a whole bunch of money and you have no idea whether you're going to be successful or not. You're just throwing a bunch of money out the window and hoping to goodness that something will happen. Yeah. I mean, I think to I think it was Ford to paraphrase Ford. I think it was uh, he's like, you know, to to you know, build a product without advertising is to, to build a car without the wheels or something to that effect. And um, ultimately, you know, we live in, in the digital age, especially we, we live in the, the age of noise um, and a, a term that gets almost colloquially thrown around is you have to find a way to break through the noise uh, and small businesses, startups, they are, you know, they're, they're hard pressed to find out what is breaking through the noise. How do I afford, how do we even afford to break through the noise? And ultimately, if they just find, uh, you know, smaller publishers, smaller media vendors that can actually provide them with. Uh, their target audience, they there won't be noise at all to those people. They will be, hey, like this is a product you're interested in because um, you are subscribing to this, you know, this news site or this blog site that talks about you know, a lifestyle, you know, thing that you're very interested in. Here's this thing that goes right along with that lifestyle, um, and and I think that's where uh, breaking through the noise for the smaller, the little guy, as it were. Will, will be the David and Goliath story that we are trying to facilitate for them. What, what do you say to people who feel that um, advertisers are are just trying to, you know, grab all your data and look into your personal life to find everything about you so that they can target ads to you? I personally 
prefer targeted ads because you know I don't want to see thing about I don't want to see advertising about feminine hygiene products because I would never buy them. But to be able to target ads to things that I I actually like, I, I don't have a problem with it. But a lot of people have that sort of attitude that you know people are invading your privacy and you know signs are watching you and learning who you are as you visit a store and then that they find that really really obtrusive um kind of what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean uh i I think to to innovate on a a tried and true saying it's you know the the inevitabilities of life are death taxes and now advertising um and in that regard a lot of advertising infrastructure there there is an argument to be made i will say to to go one step of abstraction uh, back to uh, away from advertising existing but advertising as uh, this thing that does exist or this thing that will exist. Uh, there are arguments to be made that, you know, a lot of advertising is the reason a lot of the internet is free uh, to some extent, but we're relearning now what that free model came at the cost of, came at the cost of content creators not getting paid, came, came at the cost of uh, news, the, the news being reinvented to be more title heavy than content heavy or body, body paragraph heavy, you know, more, more H4s than less, less paragraph. Um, but uh, I think, when people say um, the, the, they don't like the data that's being uh, tracked about them, I, oftentimes I think they're referring to uh, what we saw as the rise of the third-party cookie and the selling and reselling of their data across the digital ecosystem. And uh, most people don't understand that that supply chain is it's almost convoluted by nature and that your data as a product becomes this thing that can be bought, sold, resold, and re-aggregated and retargeted and classified at you. Um, when Google said that we're not going to kill the third-party cookie in 2023, about a month and a half ago, we saw a sigh of relief for a lot of ad tech vendors, but a little bit of uproar from a lot of consumers and a lot of users, and, and rightfully so, because I'm more I'm more along the lines uh, with you, where I prefer targeted advertising, because there are there are only so many modes of discovery that I can actively participate in, and good advertising is a mode of discovery that is passive that I do not have to participate in. And if it breaks through the noise, if it actually captures my attention, then it might actually be good advertising. But if it breaks through the noise and I notice it in a bug bite, well, then my, my personal experience with it is it's bad advertising. Then I'm not going to buy it. Or, or I'm going to like, ah, that really got in my way. But um, the, the current public sentiment towards advertising, I think, needs to come from a, a more honest place of, of abstraction in that advertising is very much um, inevitable in the modern age, in the digital age especially. Uh, how how advertising participants um, engage users, engage customers, engage people who experience their advertising uh, needs to be made better, basically. And I think the death of third-party cookie and first-party data becoming uh, this new gold mine, as it were, but effectively it's always been the gold that was always there. Um, I think we're going to see new ways of advertisers harkening back to maybe an older style of, of advertising through contextual advertising. You used to buy an ad in that magazine about fashion because you were like, I want to talk to fashion people or people that are interested in fashion. Uh, and contextual advertising has existed since the dawn of advertising. And I really think that if we, if at least part of advertising dollars go back to that model, um, people will start saying, oh, that was a much more relevant ad to me based on where I was in the internet. That's, that's a really valid point for sure. Um, I think that in addition to that, getting more creative with advertising opportunities such that they're not so in your face. Um, you know, if, if people are passively receiving advertising, like the, the person on, on your favorite show is using an Apple MacBook and they're not 
you know, obfuscating the Apple logo. They're just leaving it proud and strong uh, or they're drinking a Coke or whatever it happens to be. You, you naturally feel um, a familiarity with the brand and it, and it sort of plays all those little games in your head that next time you go to the grocery store, you think about buying pop and you don't know why, um, you know, those sorts of advertising things. I think people, feel a little more comfortable with because it feels like it's part of life. And I know, I know me personally, when I'm watching a show and I know for a fact they're on a MacBook, but they've put something over the logo so that they're, you know, Apple isn't getting free advertising. I, I, that stands out to me. That stands out to me as, as really obvious and kind of, I don't know, it kind of bothers me a bit for some reason. I'm not sure. Um, But uh, you know, the Simpsons would have like duff beer and, and stuff like that. Cause they, they'd pull up fake brands of things to, to kind of do their thing. But I don't know. I, I think, you know, I like, I like creative advertising. You know, I like, I like it when you see something that's, that's really, really funny or unique in some way that's it's memorable and yet it's part of a product. I mean, who, who all remembers the little old lady in the back of the, the car going, where's the beef? And she's like sliding back and forth. I mean, everybody knows that's a Wendy's commercial, right? Nobody, nobody questions that. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's a lot to do with people reinventing advertising itself. It's not going to be a huge future for newspaper ads or magazine ads or billboards. Uh, mind you, I guess billboards probably won't go away because you're, you're always driving somewhere, but they, they, they exist as uh, just as much infrastructure as a fence beside the highway and the billboard beside that fence. They are, they're both a part of the same. Well, good for the property owner for being able to have that on the property right as a revenue stream. But um, to, to your point, a, a reinvention of, of advertising and to, you know, to its parent theme or parent uh, topic as, as marketing uh, on whole, the marketing and advertising process is uh, right for innovation at all. Uh, points in the supply chain from the uh, you know strategic analysis to the research process research like who would ever buy this thing or who would ever donate to this charity or who needs this cool you know knit hat um and and then to the point where you're coming up with creative and you're saying you know it's not just another vehicle driving down an open road it's just like you know our, our vehicle is reducing x amount of emissions and just by you driving it you're likely going to see this new dawn of automotive advertising in the next three to five years with the, uh, a new um, a new onslaught of new EVs come hitting the market and thus the resulting advertising they're in. Uh, but that's, that's the creative process and good creative sometimes, you know, hits home. Um, targets, chip your pants, uh, you know, uh, kid, kid, sick kids versus that campaign still, I'd still tear up every time I see it because it was, it took a concept and it flipped it on its head and it's like, we're not going to shy away from the topic that people are uncomfortable talking about. We're going to lean right into the realities of the situation. Um, that's breakthrough creative, and then breakthrough media. Breakthrough media is uh, to to some extent the same way. You know, oh, I can't believe uh, this uh, this blogger that I follow, or this you know video game uh, play. This you know me watching someone play video games. I can't believe they got sponsored by you know that cool coconut water. I'm gonna check that out. Or you know, that, that makes sense to me. Is it good? Cool. They're 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 enough of an endorsement for me to check out that product. I'll give it a shot. So um, these are innovative ways that we're each step in the supply chain. Of marketing and advertising can really try to innovate. Everyone across the board kind of has to stay on their toes and innovate because a lot of people are moving away from television and heading towards Netflix and other other services where there are no commercials. And so, uh, you know, how do you conquer those sorts of audiences, right? And then you have all the 
the vloggers and stuff on YouTube and that, and that are trying to do things in a totally different way. And uh, I, I think everybody's just experimenting and, and praying that they can figure something out. <laughs> no. And, and, you know, it's, it's incredible to see from one Simpsons aficionado to another and to it's, it's partner show Futurama in the, you know, the, the crazy Futurama episode where they go onto the internet and their physical bodies interacting with, with advertisements and they're swiping away literal, you know, banner ads hitting them in the face. That's the metaverse that was kind of predicted back in the uh, back in the sixties and seventies that we're now experiencing through platforms like Roblox and virtual events and uh, you know gamers playing online games and there's like concerts being shown in the games. You actually have to be your your avatar to go and participate in this concert that you're seeing. So the the innovation is happening in across all digital channels. Uh, it's whether the the uh, the larger powers that be will also participate in that innovation or when they take notice so that the general public can also start to see it happen as well. Well, that sounds like a, a brilliant place to, uh, to end, <laughs> end this podcast. Is there anything else you wanted to say about yeah, BriefBid or anything specific that you'd want to leave the audience with? Yeah, sure. I mean, from, from BriefBid's perspective, if, you are, uh, if you're uh, a business looking at advertising, be it big or small, agency side, advertiser, our platform is free to use, free to hop on, free to play in the media. Uh, you'll ultimately end up talking to someone on my team or me. Um, and that is for the Alberta Innovation Ecosystem. Thank you so much for you know, keeping the community thriving and giving us a place to participate and meet and talk to one another. Just because you know, Rainforest, is, that was cool. It was my first time. And I saw, saw you guys uh, really trying to build out an entire community of people that want to help each other. I think that's, that's awesome. Well, thanks, Adam, so much for uh, for being here. I really appreciate it. And uh you know, look forward to seeing you at the future Rainforest events. Um, we'll have links to the brief bid and anything else we talked about probably in the, in the show notes. So uh, take care. Thanks for being here. Thanks, so. Great. Great being here. Tune in next week, everyone. Every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., we drop a new show. And uh, if you want to be a host or a guest or a sponsor of the podcast, please reach out to me. Uh, you can do it through the Rainforest website, rainforestab.ca. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>